This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. So, wow, it is howling out there. I jump out of the back of a mud-splattered ATV and the wind's barreling down the valley. And there are two beautiful gnarled pine trees in front of me. They look like something out of a Tolkien novel. It's looking like proper wild Scotland right now. These trees are the remnants of an ancient temperate rainforest that once blanketed the land here in the highlands and much of Scotland. Wow, some big, big pine trees there. Tell me about these. So these are, we would uh, describe them as granny pines. So they're probably, the ones down here in front of us, Chris, are about 250 to 300 years old, just sat in the bottom of the glen. I'm here with Innes McNeil. He works at the Allerdale Wilderness Reserve in northern Scotland. He's sort of become my guide during my time here. 2,000 years ago, Scotland looked very different from what you might envision today. There were no sheep, and the rolling green hills were covered with this ancient forest, four million acres of it. And there were wolves, bears, and wildcats. But because of changing weather, and especially man's hand, these few old trees are almost all that's left of those wilder times. Today, less than 5% of the forest is left in places like this, the remotest and most protected corners of Scotland. A reminder of the past. Innes has actually cored some of these trees, a method where the rings can be counted without harming the tree. And they're coming out at 470 years old. The small gnarly ones, and yeah. some of them are 400 years old. Wow. So you could say that they would have probably had wolves cocking their legs against them, like, you know, uh, back in the day. These trees are so old that they were around before the last wolf was killed in the Highlands, back in the 1700s. Wolves that actually played an important role in this ecosystem. Innes is part of a team that aims to bring this wild forest back to the Scottish Highlands. They're on a mission, a plan that includes planting more than a million trees in this wilderness reserve. But it's not just about the trees. They dream of bringing back the entire ecosystem that used to be here, a truly wild Scotland again. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the Scottish Wild. turned off the main road which was pretty small to start with and now I'm on this single single track road uh, up to Allerdale Wilderness Reserve. The reserve is an old Scottish estate, 23,000 acres with a lavish main house made of stone. Think Downton Abbey. It's a beautiful drive in the Scottish hills. But there's fences either side of this little road now and a few trees and big big fields and meadows and sheep everywhere, dry stone walls and looks every bit Scotland. It's absolutely beautiful. 
I always think about castles, clans, bagpipes and whiskey. As I drive closer to the reserve, slowly things start to feel more wild. Allerdale sits in a massive U-shaped valley that was created by glaciers during the Ice Age. So it's incredible to think of that that mile of ice on top of these valleys thousands of years ago, carving their way down here. And what they've left in their wake is this scale and beauty that's really hard to wrap your head around. Oh, the road is turning into a river here. And it's as wet as it is wild. At first glance, it feels as wild as anywhere. This is rugged country. The highlands cover about 10,000 square miles, and I'm in the far north at about the same latitude as the southern tip of Norway. I finally make it to the main house. I've come here to meet up with the owner of Allerdale, Paul Lister. He's a fellow conservationist and longtime friend, and a man on a mission for this corner of the highlands. I'm staying at Allerdale for a few days to learn more about what he's doing. Oh, lovely spot here, settled down in the forest. It's just beautiful. Paul is a trim 60-year-old with loads of energy. We find a place out of the wind to talk, under some birch trees. I want to ask him about his ambitious plans for this place. What's What's your vision for this place, Paul? I'll start off with a big question. The vision has always been to take a traditional Victorian sporting estate and turn it into a, a wilderness reserve, a sort of a, a place of nature. Paul is from England, from a family that made millions in the furniture business. He made his first trip up to a northern Scottish estate like this as a much younger man in his 20s. Like a lot of people, he came to hunt for sport. And that really brought me up to Scotland. And then once I pulled the trigger on those deer, and the first deer in fact, I kind of thought, what are we doing this for? Why are we doing it? What's it all about? Uh, you know, what, what gives us the right to shoot this big animal like that? And then you start to understand the whole breakdown, the fabric of the ecology here. These questions eventually led Paul to turn away from business to focus his life and money on wildlife conservation. He bought Allerdale, the house, and the huge piece of land in 2003 and began a transformation. So what I want to do is try and do something different. Instead of continuing on the tradition that Queen Victoria set, 150 years ago with um, hunting, shooting, fishing. You know, I wanted to change that. Further back in history, 2,000 years ago, long before Queen Victoria was around, the Romans were struck by this region too. They called the forest the Great Wood of Caledon. It looked very different to what you see today. Uh, There would have been open areas which had been kept open by large, you know, uh, browsers and grazers, you know, deer and wild boar you know would have been here and um maybe the irish elk a long time back but but it would have been also full of wildlife you know real real wildlife large carnivores and if you want to go back over a thousand years ago there would have been bears and lynx here as well except for the deer all of those species have gone Paul wants to see the ecological balance restored to Allerdale, but this is no small task given the history of how Britain treated its wild places and wild animals. I sense that when you look at this place, that's what you see, isn't it? What it used to be and what it can be, right, you know, but honestly, what the hell happened here? Well, I think uh, what happened was that man, and Britain particularly, 
um, you know, built an empire. And uh, in so doing, it came at a price. Those old pine trees that used to be on this property and all over the north were cut down. They became ships to fight the Spanish Armada back in 1588. And later, railroad ties in Africa, all part of Britain's race to conquer the world. Uh, that was lots of extraction. We needed fuel, we needed heat, we needed uh, you know, energy for the factories in the, in the Midlands, for textile industry, whatever way we could. So you know, timber was an easy source. Timber followed by coal, and, and so you know, the, the forest suffered. And we weren't replanting, you know, that, that, that wasn't happening. It's hard to imagine the scale of this relentless devastation, but it's why there are only a small number of those three or four hundred year old trees left in northern Scotland. I want to get a better picture of Allerdale, so I head up the valley. It's a cold, wet day. Not unusual for these parts. It all adds to the vibrant energy in these Scottish mountains. My drive is slow going as I try to take it all in. I round a bend in the bumpy road to a very Scottish scene. Oh wow, a herd of Highland cattle. Oh my God, that is amazing. Look at these guys. They look like they haven't seen anyone for weeks. They're staring right at me. Suddenly there are 20 of them around me. These are not your typical black and white dairy cows. These are Scottish bovine, built for the Highlands. Uh Uh-oh, they're all coming this way. That's funny. Some are brown, others are jet black, with these big U-shaped horns and long, shaggy hair that covers their eyes, like a beetle's mop top. Yeah, hello. Wow, you're a beauty. As I'm sitting there in this bovine traffic jam, I spot a small herd of five red deer stags in the distance behind them. They're looking down at me nervously. One of them shakes the rain off his coat in a beautiful mist. There's more than just domesticated livestock in these hills. An echo lingers in this valley from the wild of the past. But the light is fading fast. So with the deer and my new friends on my mind, I turn around to head back to the lodge. All right, excuse me guys, I've got to come through. It's starting to get dark. Early the next morning, it's freezing cold and windy, and it's time to trade in the Land Rover for a very different type of transportation. Hey, you're joking. We're going in this? Right. Is that good or bad? It's fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so happy right oh, now. No. What's this thing called? An Argo. Sounds like a Spanish lunch of some sort. No. <laughs> I'm heading up the valley with reserve manager Innes McNeil. I jump into the ATV with him and his team, Ryan and Neil. It's an eight-wheeler that fits four of us. Looks like something you'd drive across the moon. It's a bit noisy, though. Yeah. I've never been in one of these before. Don't get too excited. (laughs) Is it a bumpy ride? Um, It's just noisy, like, you know? Yeah. Innes is a Highlander, born and raised in this area. His family has worked in sporting estates for generations. Historically, these properties were valued on how much death you could create in them. So they're valued on the sporting part of a stag, how much he's worth, how many fish you can catch, and how many brace of grouse you can shoot. 
These were the long-held traditions in the highlands, and they still are in places where wealthy hunters come to these mountains to shoot a deer stag. Tweed suits, whiskey flasks, the works. They'd pay good money for it, sometimes several thousand pounds. The idea was to have as many deer as possible in the mountains. The more the better. Every one of them had a nice big price tag on its head. This was the business model that Innes knew well, so when Paul showed up with his talk of a wilderness reserve, Innes wasn't sure what to make of him. And within about three or four months, um, he uh, put forward his plans and his vision for why he had acquired Aladil. And to be honest, I thought he was a little mad. But he's been won over to Paul's vision. Innes has seen the success of the rewilding efforts, and it's changed his perspective about the landscape here. You know, being a Highlander, we love the place. You know, we love it for probably all the wrong reasons. We love the big vistas, the big views, and, you know, now there's an appreciation for it, you know, and an understanding that it's not meant to look like this. But the new approach was going to take patience and time. Well, the storm has definitely come in. The wind is really ripping up the valley now. And the first stop is to take a look at the few old remaining big trees, the ones from the Tolkien novel. They're a remnant of a forgotten time, like a magical connection to the past. But there's a problem. They are too old to reproduce. The biggest problem for us is that because they are so old, they're not throwing the same viable seed anymore. So we've intervened. We've done a lot of intervention in this glen. This intervention is a remarkable effort to bring the forest back, quite literally. We've planted around about 600,000 saplings in here in the last 10 years. In this uh, glen? Yeah. And then close to a million, is that We're right? Just, just under a million trees planted so far, you know. So we've got to reach that millstone, that's, that's important, you know. Uh, get that is that. quite the accomplishment. You've got a big smile on your face talking oh, about that. Yeah. That's got to make you feel good, hey? Uh, totally, it's uh, it's important, you know, and you know that's the first million. Then we've got to work on planting the next million, you know, where we're going to put them all. Like but, a million uh, new trees, but it's about more than just pine trees. Ennis points to six or seven other tree species, all native to the highlands: birches, rowans, some alders, some willows down by the river. There's a few hollies in it, amongst it, some juniper, clumps of juniper. We've uh, started doing a lot more hazel planting, so a lot more sort of food plants, so, you know, species that are going to be beneficial to wildlife in the future, you know. These species provide berries, buds, fruits, all things wildlife depend upon. Once the forests come back, so can the countless species of animals and birds and flowers and insects that belong in them. But slow tree reproduction isn't their only challenge to bringing back the forest. There's also a very large and very hungry obstacle. Deer. The Scottish red deer, like those I saw on the drive earlier. Think of it as a highland version of the North American elk. A bit smaller, but no less tough. These are the Scottish highlands after all. There are nearly half a million of these red deer in Scotland. The ecosystem can't sustain that number of hungry mouths on the landscape, and all these deer are eating the saplings before the young trees have the opportunity to grow into mature trees. These red deer are eating the forest to death. 
Wolves and other predators used to keep the deer population in check, but they aren't around to do that anymore. So the deer do need, do, do need management. Clearly we've taken on the role of the predator here. Taking on the role of a big predator in a place that hasn't had one for over 300 years. At Soundside, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting Soundside as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for Soundside at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the Soundside podcast. A quick heads up, there are some gunshot sounds coming up in the story. If you're sensitive to it, you might want to skip ahead two and a half minutes and pick up our story from there. For Innes and his team to handle the growing population of deer at the reserve, they have to cull them, selectively kill them. Now, this may seem at odds with Paul's vision of turning his back on the traditional hunting estates and the money that it brings, but this is very different and they are very careful and thoughtful about how they do this work. He doesn't hunt or fish himself, um, so he values the land and the condition of the habitat. So we're reducing the deer population here to find a more harmonious balance between the deer and the habitat restoration. Back in the ATV with Innes, and we spot a herd of red deer. Innes needs to get into a good position without spooking them completely. Culling these deer might be a little uncomfortable, not always an easy thing to explain, especially as an animal lover, but as an ecologist, I'm fascinated by how taking steps like this can really help the ecosystem, the big picture. So we're just having a spy, see if we can see any deer at the moment. Innes, Ryan and Neil have their binoculars pinned to their eyes, scanning the mountainsides. Out, just beyond the big Scots pine tree there, the far side of the fence, Chris. Um, small group of hinds. The deer are a long way off, but they finally settle. It's an opportunity for Innes to get a clear shot, so we get out of the ATVs quietly and lie down on our bellies. Ryan's rangefinder binoculars tell him how far away the deer are. 170. 170 metres. Hey! Innes gauges the wind. One, seven. Wow. Two for two. In the blink of an eye, two deer are down on the ground. The rest of them are spooked and disappear over the ridge. We climb up the steep slope towards the deer. And would the gunshot now spook that other, that other herd? Yeah. They know what's going on. I mean, we've been shooting now since the 1st of July. So, uh, they're quite jumpy. Yeah. The deer are jumpy because they recognise the team. They've become nervous of them for obvious reasons. For millions of years, red deer learned to be wary of the predators that were out to kill them. I can't help but watch this and think that this is what the wolves would ordinarily be doing here, isn't it? Exactly what we just saw. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, that's what should be happening, but I mean, not not to be corny or anything, but like the three of you are operating a little bit like a wolf pack working together. Oh, One's doing one team, thing. And... Team effort, huh? Innes and the guys drag the deer carcass down to the ATV. The meat is taken for human consumption, and the guts are left on the hillside for other species to scavenge, from eagles and foxes to beetles and worms. Occasionally, they'll leave a whole carcass out for the wildlife, and the animals are learning. Ravens, for example. Sometimes dozens of them follow the ATV to kill sites, just like they would have followed a wolf pack here centuries ago. This experience has been a defining moment for me, and a thousand things are reeling through my head as Innes and the guys scramble down the steep hill. You know, it, it's a little bit of being cruel, cruel to be kind in a sense, Chris. You know, we're, we're not trying to get rid of the deer. We're just trying to have a better, healthier balance between the deer and the habitat. You're no longer in us to me. You are the wolf of Scotland, mate. <laughs> oh, God, don't even go there. Um, I can see the tattoo already. <laughs> when Innes started working here nearly 30 years ago, he says there were, give or take, 2,500 deer in total at Allerdale. Now there are around 500, and they are healthier and stronger, which makes sense. There are fewer of them to compete with each other. For Innes, it's all part of the bigger picture for conservation, and the role of the wolf is at the heart of it. Well, let's hope that one day we see them back here, Chris, you know, because it's the right thing to do. So I believe an ecosystem without a large carnivore, you're continually spinning plates like a magician on a stage. The effort to cull the deer population is just a stopgap measure for Paul Lister. His ultimate vision for Allerdale does include bringing wolves back. An apex predator, like a wolf, can help keep the entire ecosystem in balance. In ecology, there's a phenomena called trophic cascades, where having top carnivores in an ecosystem brings balance to everything below them. The right species, the right number of those species, in the right places on the landscape. The wolves of Yellowstone are a perfect example of a trophic cascade. When wolves were brought back there, they had a knock-on effect that cascaded down through the food web below them, starting with elk, like the red deer, and ending with everything from beavers and grizzly bears to coyotes, raptors and butterflies. The minute you bring in a large carnivore, the other things kind of work themselves out. But Paul isn't looking to bring wolves back and let them run wild around the Scottish Highlands. Not to start with. He wants to start small. I'm more concerned about the first building block, Mm -hmm. which is create a a one-off wilderness reserve with wolves in it, and let's just see what happens. You know, let's take it from there, step by step. So, and if it works well, then who knows what the next step might be. It's a bold plan. The area would include all of Allerdale Wilderness Reserve, some adjacent land from agreeable neighbours, and a fence around all 50,000 acres. A mini wilderness, managed with a little help from wolves. Um, And that's been my driver to to breathe some life back into into, uh, a remote part of the Scottish Highlands. But not everyone is a fan of the rewilding plans at Allerdale. Innes suggests if I want to find out why, I should try chatting to some folks at the local pub 45 minutes down the road. He tells me I might find some colourful characters there with blunt opinions. 
I drive down to the village, but sadly, the pub is closed. The small communities are struggling here. A lot of the properties are boarded up. As I drive back up the glen towards Allerdale, I stop to record some sheep at the fence of a roadside farm, about ten miles from the reserve. There are a couple of dozen sheep in front of me, and they are part of this Scottish landscape. They're all a bit sheepish right now. I wonder if they'll talk to me. Meh! It's well known that wolves pose a risk to sheep, so when Paul and his team arrived and started talking about bringing wolves back, it started a bit of a local panic. Sheep are a big part of the local culture and economy. And the landscape is somewhat managed for them and by them. These big meadows, and uh, it's an ancient practice here. It is as Scottish as anything else. As I'm standing at the edge of the field, I notice two people looking at me rather suspiciously. The pair look like husband and wife. Turns out they own this land and have come out to check on me, the strange man holding a microphone and talking to their sheep. When I explain that I'm telling the story of Allerdale for a podcast, the man gets physically shaky. He won't let me record the conversation. He's no fan of wolves. He doesn't agree that bringing them back is a good idea. Paul has faced local opposition, and not just from sheep farmers. Hikers and outdoor enthusiasts are concerned about access to land with a plan that includes fencing in a large section of the highlands. But the vision for Allerdale is about way more than wolves, and many of the locals have come to understand that. Endangered red squirrels were brought back to the reserve, and they've done well. Very rare pine martins are being caught on remote cameras. And last year, a sea eagle spent the entire summer here. And there's even a captive breeding program for the Scottish wildcat. It's not all been successful. There have been a few failed experiments along the way. Bringing wild boar back didn't work. There wasn't enough food for them. And the habitat wasn't ready for moose either yet. But a bit like nature itself, it's about experimenting and refining as you go. Along the way, Paul and Innes have become a powerful united force for the return of the wild here. And the Englishman and the Scot share the same view of these mountains. The, the nice thing about Paul is he doesn't turn around and point at the hills as if he owns them. He calls himself a custodian and that's all you can ever be. No one owns the hills. Paul's looking after the hills. I think the most important thing for me at Allerdale is that you know, our starting point is basically 2003 when Paul took over and we're going to leave the place in better order than 2003. You know, we're, we're putting something back and we're going to leave nature in a better place than we found it. Progress on a project like this is slow. It'll take decades, even generations, for the pieces of the ecological puzzle to click back into place and flourish here in the Scottish Highlands. But Innes sees hope and progress, even in the smallest of things. There's a rare plant that grows in amongst the old pine forest, and it's called twin flower. A really pretty, couple inches tall. And just as it's described, it's got two little bells hanging off it. The twin flower's natural habitat is a healthy native pine forest. So, like the forest, it's become very rare. I was saying to the, the botanist for the last few years, oh, when are we going to find some twin flower at Allerdale? 
and he said, well, he's never, he's never seen it here. And anyway, we sort of let it go by. Then, just this past spring, the botanist discovered it, twin flower, in one of the groves of old pine woods. Great discovery, yeah. you know, and, you know, it's a little plant that's about two and a half inches tall, like, you know, it's, it doesn't sell newspapers, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get the press it deserves. So, you know, it's it's not all about the the big sexy predator like it's it's about everything, you know. It's my last day at Allerdale and I climb to a spot in the hills to think about what I witnessed here. Well, it's time for me to leave Scotland. Hesitantly, I have to say, I've absolutely loved it. I'm looking down this valley now and just thinking what the future is going to bring to this place. Oh, there is a red deer stag in its full glory in some blazing sunshine up on the slope here, thrashing the trees with his antlers. Perfect timing. Wow. You know, this is a place that is getting wilder and wilder by the month, back towards where it used to be. And uh, I wish it well. And like nature itself, it's a work in progress. It really feels like history and hope are intertwined here, where the fierce pride of Scotland can help bring back the wild past. As long as our minds are open to it, the ecological possibilities are endless. Yes, the hand of man took the wild away from the highlands, but perhaps the hand of man can help return it. Mother Nature can do the rest. I've got some great photos from my trip to the Scottish Highlands. You can check them out on our Instagram at thewildpod. You can learn more about the work of Paul Lister and his team at the European Nature Trust at a link in our show notes. The wild is inspired not just by nature, but by people who work in it, love it, protect it. We have more information on our website at thewildpod.org. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle in partnership with my work at the Uproar Fund. Our producer is Matt Martin, Jim Gates is our editor. Our production team includes David Brown, Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Dyer Oxley, Tio Popescu, Mariah Powell, Brendan Sweeney, and Jeannie Yandel. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. My name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts.